Definitely, they're not going to be listed in in US. But well, that's nearly every Chinese company, isn't it? Most most companies have have customers. A million customers isn't a lot, so most of them are going to have data on their customers and their users. So it pretty well rules out almost any sizable Chinese company. Um, true, but it does. <laughs> what is data, and uh, what, what, for example, would it be if it was a food company or a dairy company, or you know, maybe better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, but it should be better. Yeah. But look, it's a big loss for New York. I think uh, both of you are right. I mean, look, there's 15 billion dollars of deals already done. One third of all the listings for the rest of the year were to be Chinese, and uh, you know, this this is this is a loss for New York City. Okay, well, thank you all very much. Have a good day. That's Barry Wood. Thank you. Our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Stuart Allcroft, chairman of City Trust, and Dickie Wong, head of research at Kingston Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this morning. Over in Australia, the SX200 is up 1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan up one and a third of a percent. Uh, slightly smaller gains for the Cosby of about 0.4% down in South Korea and also more modest gains for the Hang Seng as well. Looks like it's going to add about 120 points or so at the opening in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is weaker this morning, trading at $69.10 a barrel, and gold is also off about a dollar at $1,809 an ounce. Stay tuned for the news, followed by back chats with Hugh Chiverton and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today, cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms. Those showers are going to be heavier over some areas at first. Maximum temperature is going to be about 28 degrees. And then the outlook is those showers will lessen in the next couple of days with sunny periods, very hot on Friday and Saturday. 26 degrees right now, 96% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The PLA says a dam in Hernan province may collapse after being severely damaged in storms. And in the provincial capital, Zhengzhou, state media says torrential rain has caused 12 deaths without elaborating. The local government also said 100,000 people had been moved to safety. Robert Kemp reports. The PLA says it has sent in soldiers to help with flood diversion after heavy rains caused a 20-metre breach in a dam in Luoyang, a city of around 7 million. The Army's Central Theatre Command said the dam may collapse at any time. In nearby Zhengzhou, authorities closed the subway system after it flooded and verified social media videos showed water reaching shoulder height with passengers grabbing onto handles and standing on seats. Weather authorities said a typical year's rainfall had fallen in just three days. The U.S. climate envoy John Kerry has warned the suffering caused by the coronavirus will be magnified many times over if the world fails to tackle global warming. In a speech in London, Mr Kerry said countries couldn't afford to wait for the end of the pandemic before facing up to the climate crisis. He urged China, the world's biggest user of fossil fuels, to dramatically increase its efforts to cut its carbon emissions. China absolutely can help lead the world to success by peaking and starting to reduce emissions early during this critical decade of 2020 to 2030. And I say that simply because it is factual scientifically. The truth is there's no alternative because without sufficient reduction by China, together with the rest of us, the goal of 1.5 degrees is essentially impossible. A man has been charged with manslaughter after a man he allegedly hurt in a street fight died yesterday. The case will be mentioned at West Calhoun Magistrates Court this, later this morning. Sean Kennedy has more. 
A 39-year-old man faces the charge after a 54-year-old man died just before 7.30pm. Early on Monday morning, police had been called to the junction of Peiho Street and Aplu Street in Shamshui Po following reports of a brawl. The 54-year-old had been sent unconscious to Princess Margaret Hospital, while the 39-year-old who had head injuries was treated at Caritas Medical Centre. Police had initially arrested both men for fighting in a public place. A post-mortem will be held to determine the cause of death. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about housing and space tourism. The head of the State Council's Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office, Xiaobao Long, says he hopes housing issues in the city would see great improvements and it would bid farewell to caged homes and subdivided houses by 2049. And Carrie Lam has vowed to use the remainder of her term to tackle housing, including strengthening oversight from the highest level of government to avoid an internal fragmentation of responsibilities. What actually does this mean? What actually are priority problems in housing? The CE told lawmakers what we fundamentally and what we need to fundamentally solve the housing problem is not any expedient measure but the determination to maintain the land supply. Is that what Beijing wants? Should property prices be high or low? Should we have more public housing or less? Or is it about right? Are the developers devils who need raiding in or angels or the only ones who can get us out of this mess. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and comments. Uh, our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on 233-88266 after 9.15 or thereabouts. As I say, we're going to be uh, discussing space tourism. Jeff Bezos, you might have seen, heading for the stars with the oldest and the youngest uh, ever astronauts. A pretty brief flight. Uh, is that a new frontier or uh, just uh, escapism for bored billionaires? Let us know your thoughts. Backchat at rthk.hk. Once again, our email address. And a reminder that the Chief Executive uh, will be joining us for an hour for uh, uh, an interview live on uh, Friday morning. We'll also be streaming that um, on uh, Facebook. I hope you can join us then. And if there's any questions or points you want to put to the Chief Executive uh, before then, uh, drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk. And we'll see if we can... uh, get your points or your questions or comments um, into uh, that discussion. That's with the Chief Executive between 8.30 and 9.30 on Friday morning. Joining us now, we have uh, with us Dr Rita Lee, Director of Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre, Associate Professor in the Department of Economics and Finance at Chuyan University. Ryan Ip in our central studio, Head of Land and Housing Research at the Our Hong Kong Foundation. And uh, also, we're going to be joined soon by uh, Holok Sang, Senior Research Fellow at the Pan Sutong Economic Research Institute at Lingnan University. Uh, Ryan, maybe if we start with you. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for for, morning. Jo- for, for joining us once again. Um, uh, okay, so this was kind of inspired because um, everyone says that the housing problem is very, very important. And they've always, of course, they've been saying that for 20 years or something. This is a top priority. And Carrie Lam has explicitly said this is going to be her main priority in the, in the year that remains. Uh, Beijing is saying this should be Hong Kong's top priority and everything like this. 
but the you know the, the, there are there are many kind of <clears throat> aspects of this angles about that when they, when they talk about a problem in housing what mm. what, what is, actually is the problem here what what are they talking about is it is it subdivided housing is it the unaffordability is it the public housing is it the land supply is it all of those things or none what is it well i think all of them let, let, let's start with where we are right now uh, i think there are three main problems that we are facing right now in terms of housing uh, how private housing are very unaffordable, units are small, and living quality are just poor. You know, on one hand, uh, private housing is hugely expensive. You know, median house price is twenty times of income, and also per capita living space in Hong Kong is only hundred and seventy square feet per people on average. That is sixty percent less than you know Singapore. And on the other hand, on the public housing side. The completion has never been able to reach the government's target. And also, uh, we have 150,000 people waiting for PRH. And, you know, they have to wait for six years on average. And at the same time, uh, we have 200,000 people who are living in caged homes and subdivided units. So that is where we are right now. And... I think uh, we can also look at where we want to be. Uh, I think um, the ideal solution is, you know, for everyone to be able to afford their own homes, you know, and live spaciously. I would say something like Singapore. You know, in Singapore, eighty percent of people are living in housing sold by the government at a very, very affordable price. You know, and also in Singapore, the per, ca- per capita living space is two hundred and seventy square feet in Singapore on average. And so how are we going to achieve this? Uh, we, have, we have been talking a lot about supply, right? Many people have many solutions on increasing housing supply. And I think that is a necessary but insufficient condition. Uh, we need to have enough supply, but I, want, I also want to say that um, we, w- we will need a revamp in our housing policy, you know, to, to, to sort of follow more closely the Singapore model. Um, firstly, we need to allow tenants in the public rental housing to buy their own units to become homeowners. And we have to relax the income limit of the, sub- of the subsidized sales housing so that the sandwiched class, the middle class, can also be able to buy their own homes you know, from the government. And I think more importantly, uh, we sort of need to relax the rental restrictions of the current existing subsidized housing so that the owners of the subsidized housing can lease out their own units to eligible people. For instance, those uh, waiting for the PRH and also those living in the subdivided units. And basically, the government should sort of segregate the public and private housing market. You know, most of the people can be able to buy their own homes, you know, through the public housing market. Yeah, yet you still have a private housing market for those who want to live a little bit better, right? Once you do that and make sure most of the people are being taken care of by the government, then on that on that basis, you know, whether the price of private housing is high or low would be less of a concern. So you're advocating advocating a housing model that's more like our healthcare system, where the vast majority of people are taken care of by the government and only a tiny you know, kind of a small lead are using the private system? Is that that's where you would want to see things go? Yes, basically, you know, something similar to the, to the Singapore model. But then what, what I want to stress that is 
uh, within a public housing system, we, we should allow people to buy, right? We should give them a choice to buy. You know, if they want to buy a subsidized housing, so be it. If they want to rent a, uh, a public rental housing, let them choose. But um, I think what we're lacking right now is choices. Mm. Uh, I mean, how much of this is, you know, uh, when you have a job or a role to do something or fix something, you, you go to what you can control. But I mean, how much of this is out of the Hong Kong government's hands? Because every major city in the world is experiencing runaway real estate prices because of money flooding into the system from central banks, which our government can't control. Um, how, how, like, how much do you think they can actually achieve when, I mean, even if they build the new housing, will there not just be this unlimited supply of money sloshing around the world looking for assets to, to, to go into? Well, I think uh, um, at least part of them can be controlled by the government, right? Uh, first of all, you you got to have enough supply, and that is a little bit more hard to achieve, uh, uh, at least on the short term. Uh, I think, well, uh, many people have recently... Uh, uh, propose a lot of solutions to increase supply. So they talk about uh, you know the periphery of country parks. Uh, pe- some people are talking about relocating the con- uh, the container terminals. But I think um, um, if you want to solve the problem, uh, if you want to solve the short to medium term problems, if you want to solve you know like supply in the next five years, um, the only way you can do this is to expedite those projects that are already in the pipeline. Uh, that has already planned for 20, uh, t- 10, 20 years uh, to expedite them so that uh, units, so that projects that originally uh, scheduled to complete in 10 years can be, say, complete in 8 years. Those originally scheduled to complete in 8 years can be, can be completed in 5 years, right? Mm. What you can do this is to, you have to cut all the red tapes, uh, the regulatory red tapes and also the administrative red tapes because all other solutions will take more than 10 years. You know, you know the situation in Hong Kong, right? Mm-hmm. You need more than 10 years to get a new piece, to, to turn a virgin land into a spade-ready site. So uh, all, the pro- all the solutions, all the new land that people find right now is not going to solve the short to medium term problems, right? Mm-hmm. You can, what you can do is to ex- expedite the projects that are already in the pipeline. That is the only so, solution. Sounds like you're playing down Lantau tomorrow there a bit. Well... I think Nano tomorrow is, is is still important because you still have you, you still got to have enough supply, you know, for the for the long term, right? You, once you solve the short term problems, you still think of the long term. Are you term. going off it a little bit? You, you don't seem to have the same enthusiasm for it. Am I imagining that? Well, I would say I'm I'm always enthusiastic about this, right? Okay. All right, mm. all right. Uh, Rita Lee, uh, Dr. Lee, good morning to you. Morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Well, we heard there a, a, a diagnosis and a prescription from Ryan Ip about the, the housing problem. Do you, do you agree? Do you agree that's a, 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 that describes what, what the issue is and, and how you might go about solving it? Well, I think, uh, yes, one of the solutions that I agree, actually, is that land touch mall must be the solution because, actually, the supply is limited by the pieces of land that's available in Hong Kong. Uh, in Singapore, that we, we always say that we would like to move towards Singapore's model. But in Singapore, that we have got a lot of land. And if you have ever been to Singapore, I guess most of us have seen that there is no mountain. So if they wish to, like my friends who come from Singapore, uh, they always love going to mountains in Hong Kong. However, in Hong Kong, you have got so many mountainous places, and then there are a lot of the places for which that it is not suitable for building housing. So therefore, there is uh, one of the solutions uh, for which we can do is by using, uh, by 
uh, utilizing the policy that we have that is a land talk tomorrow to uh, substantially increase the housing supply. However, apart from uh, from those that we mentioned, there are actually other stumbling blocks that, is, uh, that, that, that we have to solve as well. For Implementation example? of responsibilities among departments actually exists. For example, uh, in many circumstances, when we build uh, housing blocks, we may have to apply for change in use of land to satisfy all the relevant uh, government's departments' requirements. Yet, fulfillment in land department requirements may not imply the the fulfillment of the building department criteria or the criteria of time planning departments. One may actually find that the departments may have many different uh, requirements by law within the same types of works. And failing to satisfy one department implies that you have to redo and go around all the departments again. So these applications actually lead to a substantial increase in time for property development. I guess that most of the developers and, and anybody that you ask from, like, for example, architects, they can tell you the similar so- story. So therefore, apart from like solving the problem of the housing supply, we also have to consider like whether or not that we can have some something to deal with, like all the departments try to standardize the requirements among all the departments if uh, with regard to more or less similar uh, categories of uh, issues. Like kind of setting up uh, like it's been popular in other places, kind of a one stop shop, one stop shop for yeah, getting permissions exactly. and licensing. And yeah. <clears throat> what about freeing up zoning in, in currently existing buildings? I mean, it's, it's kind of an open secret that a lot of young people are moving into industrial buildings, outfitting industrial spaces and setting it up for, for you know, seven, eight, nine, ten people to be able to live together. Uh, you know, should we just give them the flexibility to do that and not have people like that living in a gray zone? Well, I think it, it should be another 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 solution as well because actually, if you go to those uh, uh, industrial buildings, we have got a lot of industrial buildings that they are no longer used for industrial use, and then uh, quite a number of them have already been changed to like shops. For example, in Kuntong, we have got a lot of shops like that, and then we have got a lot of the uh, a lot of the spaces for which that is available for them to turn into the uh, uh, the flats. However. Of course, there are some other considerations. For example, originally, the design is not for like so many people, so that in such a way that they may have to like do something in the restructuring process. And then these restructuring process, however, if that is like a fixed fixture, for example, that must apply uh, uh, for a building's department's approval by the time they have to install, for example, a, 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 a wall, a structural wall there. So therefore, this step uh, that also needs uh, government support as well, that is to faster the pace of, like, for example, this kind of like restructuring uh, issues, and then uh, so as like uh, including those like bathroom facilities, for example, uh, because in uh, factories, for example, originally we don't decide to have so many people that they they need to have a bath, for example. So it means that we have to have like some kind of uh, changes in the in the structure inside as well, but. Actually, it is a good way to deal with because uh, actually, the, uh, if we if we have got a building left there, nobody use it. This is a kind of waste. However, if we can try to do something on that and then change it to become housing, that that, that is actually a, a, an issue. But uh, putting back, however, the stumbling blocks that still exist. That is what I what I mentioned about like the lands, buildings department, like time planning department. That all the departments must have got the standardized. And, uh, and Reinhardt was talking about uh, built, having public housing and then selling it, basically, uh, having subsidised housing, um, that kind of model, is a, putting more emphasis on that. Do you agree with that as a direction? Um, public housing, yes, uh, because it is a way for which, uh, actually, for uh, Singapore, for example, the HDB, that is the, uh, the public housing provided by the government, uh, is actually, of course, the fastest way to deal with, because actually the, uh, all the uh, department's uh, requirements 
uh, they they may not they may not need to have like so much things to do with uh, uh, in terms of like uh, the passing the uh, regulations uh, etc. Because they know they should know all the government rules and regulations uh, and that uh, they they should have got a very good communication in ideal case. So that actually the uh, driven from government is uh, one of the way for which we can we can we can deal with. And then you sell off the housing. You sell off the housing uh, uh, at a discount. Is that Sorry? and then you sell off the housing at a discount? That's what's what you're advocating, is it? Uh, well, uh, for the uh, for a discount, yes, it is a it is a uh, it is a way it is a solution to do with uh, the unaffordable parts for which that they uh, for like for example, HDB in, in Singapore, they have got a uh, we, we will not say that it is a big uh, discount, but then it actually it is uh, it is sort of like uh, just like uh, uh, a. a Slightly over the the course of the construction, and then, of course, that will bring some good news to the uh, to 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 anybody in Hong Kong if there's like uh, if they provide a sufficient number of housing like uh, like those that you can see in Singapore. Right. I, I mean, I do have to say, you know, this is this is something that's been discussed for 30 years, isn't it? And Singapore's been following their model for, for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why is it always everyone says, oh, our priority is doing this, our priority is, uh, is housing, and yet somehow the, per- the problem persists? Because uh, actually for why, Singapore, If we want to do it like Singapore, why don't we just do it like Singapore? Well, because in Singapore they have got a... I mean, uh, in Singapore it's... Uh, as a model, that it is like a piece of flatland, so you can have a lot of place, a lot of space for which like, you can build uh, housing. Uh, there are so many places for which like you don't need to do something as like uh, clearing the those like uh, trees and then uh, mountains and then sea and then you don't you don't need to do so much thing on that. And they, and they, they have land, and they, they have coated the entire island in concrete plus you know plus filled in a lot of the ocean. They have very little green space in Singapore compared to Hong Kong. Well, another thing for which Singapore that they can do, but ours cannot do at the present moment, is that uh, Singapore's government is like very strong, right? <laughs> we all know the Singapore government is very strong. So uh, actually, they need to they need to do something so that they just go it straight away. So uh, so that uh, they 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 could do it very fast. Okay. Well, then in in Hong Kong, who's stopping the government doing what they want? Um. Well, the government uh, actually um, uh, in Hong Kong as well as that because the laws and regulations that is around that, that exist actually it doesn't mean that well if the government wants to do this then they can do uh, do that straight away because actually you have to review all the departments even within the government's departments so you have got so many different departments there's no one shop uh, that is available for them to like do or edit it. So it means that the government in itself that we we, we, we we don't expect that they can they can do uh, something like what the Singapore government can uh, can do at the moment. Uh, later on, I I'm not sure because in, uh, uh, Mrs. Lam Chen you all has also mentioned about like fermentation of government. So I guess that she also have seen the uh, the, the crux of the issue already. But there's mm-hmm. okay. So there's no. It's not the developers or the political opposition or anything like that, or well, a particular I class think- that's stopping the government. It's the, it's just its own rules. Well, I think um, a lot of circumstances we just say that is it true that the developers is trying to hinder the uh, uh, the housing construction? I would just say that well, the developers' main goal is to make profit, right? So normally they have no intention to hinder property supply, so they sell more when they make profit and then take away and see actually if the if the market performance is bad. So by applying the same logic, they they actually they may supply more house. Uh, they they do not have the market supply. 
more like uh, for example, they having too much supply in the market, they lower the price, and then they won't want to see the drop in price. Uh, like take an example of on the MPR, for example, uh, we do not see they have or hinder the market either. So even there's like quite a topic uh, uh, company. All right. So. Yeah. Okay, also with us is uh, Ho Lok Sang, a senior research fellow in the Pan Sutong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. Professor Ho, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for, for, for joining us once again. Okay, in five minutes, what's the problem? Yeah, I, what, actually, what's the I can what respond to some of those yeah. things that were said just now. Actually, in Singapore, they have uh, um, maybe two-thirds of our population, but they have uh, uh, um, one-third more than our, our residential land. You see, so so they have a lot more land, and, and they have uh, a smaller population than we do. And also, they started uh, 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 with the um, goal of satisfying the needs of the, the housing needs of the uh, people in Singapore. And uh, they leave very little room, you know, for private developers. Actually, they dominate the market completely. They even, you know, for the for the HDB uh, Housing Development Board uh, housing, they offer all the way up to executive, executive suites, okay? Mm. So it's uh, um, everybody, as long as they are a Singaporean, they, they are entitled, you see. So um, we need to consider our historical situation, you know, because uh, we, we have now um, the country park ordinance in place. So it's not, you know, with today's uh, technology, it's not difficult, you know, to, to build on any terrain. It's possible, okay? But... Um, uh, the law prevents that, and the law reflects the, the will of the communi- community for, for conservation. In Singapore, they just conserve 8% of the land, okay? But we, we, we conserve uh, 40% of our land is in country park and more than, um, and, and something like 20%, another 20% is uh, in uh, various woodland, 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 and so on, grassland, and so on, you, uh, uh, farmland, and so on, you see. So we just have uh, less than, we have just uh, uh, 25% of the land that is, uh, that is uh, built up, you see. So, so with that context, uh, we, we need to take our historical context. It's not possible to go back to square one, you know, because right now we have uh, a lot of people who had spent... Um, the fortunes, okay, to uh, to secure the homes, they, they buy the homes, and uh, we have uh, right now above fifty percent of our population is fifty one percent, I think to be exact, yeah, uh, already own the homes, mm. and um, 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 about um, and they don't want house prices to go down particularly, do they? Yeah, they exactly. You see, so since we have. Uh, Oh, um, the, the government has already taken care of about 50% of the population, you know, uh, with uh, now more than 20% in, in public rental housing and another uh, something like 30% in HOS housing and other kinds of, uh, uh, you know, the TPS housing and so on. You see, so, so we have about 50% already owners, okay, and then in that 51% already owners. Uh, uh, in the uh, uh, sorry, fifty-one percent already taken care uh, uh, already owners, and then thirty percent already in in public housing, uh, public rental housing. So mm-hmm. we have just about twenty percent who are out in the cold, and and these people, some of them uh, are given uh, employ, uh, em- employers provide them quarters and so on. So we have just about fifteen percent who who are who are paying private rent, mm-hmm. and that is why 
um, housing problem is always a minority problem. It's not the, the problem of the, of the majority. And that is why wherever you go, you want to, you want to fetch land for, for development, you, you get objections anywhere. Okay. But you say uh, it's a minority problem, but Beijing doesn't say it like a, that, and, and, and Carrie problem. Lam doesn't say it like that. And it's a serious problem, but it's a minority in terms of numbers. And that is why uh, get, fetching land is so difficult. You see, for the government to fetch land is very difficult. Mm. And, uh, uh, and, and, and we have to be careful. We also we, we don't want to destroy the fortunes of those people who spend, say, uh, 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 five million, six million dollars uh, buying a, 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 a three hundred square feet uh, a room, uh, a flat. You see, nine yeah. small, small, very, very small flat. They, they, they are not rich people, but they spend so much, you know. And and, and, and that's why uh, we need to uh, tread very carefully. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we need to uh, cater to the needs, the urgent needs of those people who are m- most underhoused you know when 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 they have very poor substandard housing those are the people that we, we need to address yeah. uh, 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 right away oh, and, and that is why I, I've been urging I've been urging that the government uh, offer uh, make a pledge okay to provide a very basic housing just uh, less than 400 square feet no mm. don't make it too big you know so so you 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 your your pledge can is credible, okay? If it's uh, three uh, um, three hundred eighty uh, to four hundred square feet, you know, for for a family of four, okay, or uh, for for a family, you know, then if you make that pledge and uh, um, uh, try to honor that pledge, then once the policy is in place, already people's expectations will come down, so that uh, uh, people will no longer. Uh, pay um, premium prices for very small flats. Okay. And then the prices will come down. All right. Well, interesting. We're, we're, going, we're going to take a break for the news now and say goodbye. Thank you very much indeed to uh, Ryan Ip, uh, Head of uh, Land and Housing Research at the Air Hong Kong Foundation, and uh, Ho Lok San from uh, Lingnan University. Uh, uh, Professor Lee will uh, stay with us. I'm also going to be talking about space tourism later in the program as well. Back to that rthk.hk email address. Got lots of interesting emails to come. The weather cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms. The showers heavier over some areas at first. Temperatures up to about 28 degrees uh, today and the showers will lessen in the next couple of days. 26 degrees at the moment with a relative humidity now of 97%. The news on RTHK. Welcome back this Wednesday morning. Andrew Work and me, Hugh Tiverton, uh, with Back Chat today talking about uh, housing. Later we're going to be talking about space tourism. Uh, joining us now we have Dr Rita Lee, who's Director of Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre and Associate Professor in the Department of Economics and Finance at Xi'an University. Uh, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. We've got quite a few uh, emails to uh, share with you uh, on this topic and uh, others. Uh, also a reminder that the uh, Chief Executive will be with us on Friday morning from 8.30 to 9.30. Not taking calls, um, but if there's a question or a point you'd like to make, uh, drop us a line before then, backchat.rthk.hk, not during the programme, but before then, uh, and we'll see if we can uh, get that in to the conversation. Uh, Mary, in an email on housing, says, Dear Backchat, when will our bosses in Beijing face the reality that by forcing Hong Kong to take in 150 new residents every day, a number of whom inevitably have to be supported by the government, it's not possible to ever resolve the grassroots housing conundrum. The demand for assisted housing can never be met. Officials here should have the 
courage to point out that this is the root cause and supply can never catch up with the incessant demand. And Ed says there is one issue for housing in Hong Kong, the government policy of withholding land to pump up prices. This year will almost certainly be record low again. CY Lung pushed developers to produce ever smaller nano flats to boost the numbers, but not the supply of livable space. While Mrs Lamb set up a committee to review a task force's finding to present to the LegCo Assembly while further cutting supply. Hong Kong is not short of land, as countless non-government studies show. The allocation of land should be taken out of the hands of politicians and given to a land authority to dole out based on political targets. The big question, what are the political targets for housing, 22 years in and still directionless? NB, talk of building in country parks or golf courses is just a distraction that shouldn't get any airtime. Again, brownfield, urban renewal, unused sites offer plenty of land, just not desire to lower property prices. That comes uh, from... uh, Ed and um, MT says, uh, in terms of the Hong Kong government acting with urgency, let's be real. The first step will be the dreaded public consultation and inevitable time delay. A dedicated department is what is needed. Just do it. And with one step, one scrap the uh, scrap the indigenous housing rights given in a government memo, rip the memo up. And don't touch the country parks. That comes from uh, MT. And uh, John Kowloon says, question for your panel, how does the current and anticipated future exodus of families from Hong Kong affect the supply and demand dynamics of the local housing market? Or will the departing Hong Kongers simply be replaced by mainlanders? That's from uh, John Kowloon. Um, uh, Professor Lee, uh, a couple of points there. First of all, uh, what what about this point about... um, uh, you know, it's, it's often said that the high land and high property prices is what the government wants because that's how they get their income uh, and they're addicted to it uh, and they don't really want to solve the housing problem because uh, it makes them, it gives them plenty of money. Um, uh, is that true? And if so, how do you break that? Dr Lee? Um, actually, I think I will just say that uh, actually by the time we, we, we talk about like high land prices, high housing prices, of course the government can earn some money because of the tax, okay? But uh, the question is that does it mean that the house, uh, they, this is the government's uh, uh, goal that they would like to have a high housing price? I would just say that housing prices, if that is like too high, of course they're detrimental because they... Uh, overseas talents will not come to Hong Kong to work because of the high housing price. For example, my friend from Thailand, and then they, what they say is that, well, the housing price is over $10 million, so I won't consider to come to Hong Kong. So likewise, the uh, locals will also suffer if the housing prices are too high. Quality of life must be lowered by the time that we spend like 95% of our income for mortgage and leave only 5% for food, transportation, etc. However, in case if there's like, uh, or putting it in the other side around, a lot of students also told me that, well, it, it, it would be nice if the housing prices are very low. Uh, the question is that if the housing prices are that is too low, then many centers are actually linked with the property market like bank, lawyers, uh, real estate agents, uh, construction petitioners, uh, like scaffolders, painters, surveyors. So a trough in the property market is also associated with that shop in the economy as a whole. So if there are too many bad debts in the banking sector, falling in one or two banks may even cause much more detrimental to the finance sector and much more substantial destruction to all sectors. So similar to our 
blood pressure either too high or too low is not happy. But but the government yeah. does get a lot of money, doesn't it, from land sales? Uh, yeah. That's why we have a low tax. Uh, a yeah. low income tax because we because because we own all the land because the government owns it we the government owns all the land um and uh we get the stamp duty uh and so on so the government you know that's the main source of income isn't it well it's a considerable yeah, source it, of income it is the main source of income so if you come if you go to like for example united states you will find that there are a lot of the places that, that they have got like sort of like up because they have got a tax in like whatever thing that you try to buy. Yeah. So Goods and services, exactly. Place, so, you know, it would, it would look obvious that the government would be reluctant to give up its main source of income. The government will actually suffer by the time that it, it tries to give up this main source of income. That is also true because actually no matter is by the time that you have got a transaction in the housing crisis, in the, in the housing, so you have to pay like stamp duty. Mm-hmm. And then so they actually... Uh, the government also earn a lot of money, in particular from the land sales, for example. So yeah. as otherwise, then there will be a lot of different tax will come out to replace it if we need to, uh, uh, if we need to provide a source of income, stable source of income to the government. So to certain extent that the, uh, that's why that the government, uh, have no, uh, intention to hit the housing prices to very low. But, uh, more importantly, actually, this is not uh, this is not the main reason why the government does not want to hit the housing prices as well. As well, the most important thing is that actually in 2003, by the time that we have got a drop in the uh, property market, it is not just a drop in the property market; all sectors suffer. And then, uh, 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 so that that is the main reason, and then political uh, instability as well. So if we, all the sectors uh, suffer, have very high unemployment. That is actually a source of a political instability. So uh, that is another reason for which that they do not want to like um, uh, lower the housing prices very substantially. Yeah. Right. Uh, an email from Jeff uh, who says, Dear Backchat, given that the Hong Kong birth rate is 0.7 children per woman and the national birth rate is 1.7 children, uh, uh, how long will housing demand outpace supply? 2.1 is needed for population replenishment. In recent years, net inbound immigration was around 50,000 people per year versus new fat supply of around 12,000 units. Should inbound immigration be reduced to the rate of population replenishment? Also, can we look at adjusting demand as well as supply, and that goes with those, those earlier comments about the um, the new residents uh, taking uh, uh, you know taking up places in 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 Hong Kong, mm-hmm. uh, and also about uh, possible uh, emigration uh, more recently uh, as well. What about the demand? Well, actually, the uh, immigration is an issue. Uh, is actually an issue for by the time we talk about like housing uh, uh, inadequacy. Uh, uh, but then, uh, why do we have to have like some sort of like immigration because, uh, the low, because of the low birth, low birth rate as well. So in a city or in a country that was a very huge aging population problem, it's always a problem to any of the developed country or any developed city. Because, uh, normally by the time we talk about the productivity, of course it's highest by the time that is uh, a city with a lot of use, right? So if they, uh, uh, if, uh, if, uh, the city is like Hong Kong, for example, one, about one third of them is over 60 years old. 
then of course the government still want to have got some number or some sort of number of the immigration of the immigrants to uh, to cover the low birth rate problem issue. Yeah, because we're closing uh, we're closing schools because the school populations are declining because <laughs> there's fewer children. I mean, uh, you know, but when we when we look at this, I guess we talked about revenue and the government and property. But I mean, the, go- the government introduced taxes that were specifically targeted at lowering land prices, the, the three spicy taxes. But they haven't achieved that. But they have been a spectacular source of revenue for the government. Well, I think it's, it's very strange in Hong Kong. And whenever there are spicy taxes, it always push up the price. Like, I, I'm not sure whether you have you have uh, uh, read the uh, the figures, uh, but how do you do research? It's very it's very strange that whenever they have got like spicy taxes, then uh, actually it's a kind of signal that the housing price will still go up. <laughs> and then, and then it's only by the time the government tries to loosen everything, like for example, lower the interest rate, lower the mortgage rate, that the housing prices drop. So um, actually, spicy Texas uh, is not a good solution for Hong Kong, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, the, the idea of a vacancy tax, they've tried it out in downtown Vancouver. And what they have found is that uh, when, when they make the vacancy tax, because it's hard to throw people out of your apartment. So people that have left their flats vacant, they're allowing friends and relatives to move in for free. So whereas maybe you had one household before that had, say, six, five or six people living in it. Now they're spread across three households and they're living for free in two of them because the landlords don't want to let people they don't know move in because they can't get rid of them. So then you, the one household has gone from one house is now spread over three houses. So, you know, they've made the problem even worse. I mean, However, Dr. Lee, I think there's an appetite, a popular appetite for for the vacancy tax uh, in Hong Kong. And, and, you know, it's interesting that they are introducing the, the rent cap on uh, subsidized housing and, you know, might even kind of want to wish to extend that a little bit more. Um, do you think that we're going to see more of that kind of mm. um, uh, approach, more kind of a proactive approach from from the administration? This is what they, this is what they keep saying yeah, they're going to do yeah. and they never, they never quite do. Well, I, I, I think that for the vacancy test, there is a uh, there is actually administration uh, administrative issue. Like for example, how can you say that there is a a vacant a vacant unit? Does it mean that you have to have some somebody to go into that flat to like pay a visit for every month? So it means that actually vacancy tax in Hong Kong, however, it may have got some of the difficulty in terms of the administration issue. And there are a lot of people nowadays that they, they for example, they, they migrate to another city. And then what is as common is that they will, they will just uh, still keep the housing in Hong Kong. They may not rent it out, but then they just keep the housing in Hong Kong. That, so that, uh, that housing unit is actually vacant, actually. Uh, this one is, is much more easier to, to tackle, but then uh, a lot of circumstances by the time we talk about vacancy tax, it is not an easy, uh, it is not an easy uh, way to deal with, like, uh, how can, uh, for the first hand, it is much more easy, because, like, uh, if the developer, they, they do not sell the housing out, the whole block is vacant, then we, we, we know it by, like, having a normal eyesight, so we, we know it, but then for the second hand, there's an issue, because, like, well, somebody can find some of the relatives and then to like uh, to 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 sleep for a couple of nights and then go to uh, and then uh, uh, and then uh, uh, pretend that somebody is there. Yeah. So you know, it is a it is a it is an issue. And then some of us, by the time we work for like, for example, uh, those IPO companies, those law firm, well, a lot of circumstances we may disappear for half of the month because not because we don't live there, but because we have got a job for which they tie up all our sleeping time. Yeah. And then we don't have in our own flat. Yeah. So ultimately, the vacancy tax is, uh, is not very easy to deal with by the time we talk about second hand. First hand, we have already done that. So, yeah. 
Hey, Dr. Lee, uh, while we still have you on, I'm, I'm curious, how valid a measure do you think the waiting list for public housing is? Because, I mean, a lot of people just put their names on the list. They already have a place to live, but hey, why not put your name on the list? You know, you might get a free flat. Um, is, is it a valid measure? Like that, that seems to me be, to be one, you know, one, one list that will never go to zero, that it can't be solved. And, it, you know, it's only going to get longer people, if it's easy for people to put their name on the waiting list. Well, actually, why do the people put the name there is that because uh, in a lot of housing, for example, if you go to Burma Hill, there is a uh, there is a very uh, a very uh, a very luxury housing estate, and then just opposite that, another public housing estate. The prices is over like ten times more likely most of the time, over ten times. So mm-hmm. by the time you call a ten times difference, you live in the same uh, luxury housing zone, <laughs> and you have got more or less similar view, and then you have got more or less similar public uh, public transportation. So the question is like, so if you live like close to that luxury housing, you have got a question like, why do I, why, uh, is it, is it actually a kind of benefit that if you stay in the public housing there? And once you have it, you, I mean, it's supposedly you can be, you can, you forced out if your situation changes, but practically nobody ever gets forced out. People sublet them all the time. It's like winning the lottery, isn't it? Yeah, actually, so that um, uh, a lot of circumstances we would like to have uh, the lottery there and then to try to like uh, see uh, what kind of lots that we have and then we, we want to uh, spend less for the housing actually. Uh, in particular, if you if you want to buy a housing, the first thing you have to do is that you have to reduce uh, your spend, uh, expenditure on other things including the housing that you have. So that after all, uh, if you talk about like uh, previously, if you mentioned like how can we solve the long queue problem? So there are a lot of the ways for which we can we can do, which includes like for example, uh, different level of the uh, different level of the public housing they will charge different prices. Yeah. If the housing like for example, if the public housing is very close to a luxury housing, the bill is more or less the same. Then of course that one it should be like higher prices. So that we have got like if you really cannot afford, you can only afford like zero, then you will go to like this public housing. If you can afford a bit more, another type of the public housing. So it's like kind of a stepwise rather than now it's just like more or less similar housing prices. So that you will just say that, well, why not just stay opposite to that luxury housing? Okay. Uh, some more emails to finish off. Anthony says uh, the continuous bleating that Hong Kong has no land for housing has been disproven by the local experts, many of whom you've had on your program. The government has failed to release land on a regular basis in the last 20 years. It's failed to knock heads together to release brownfield sites and other areas. In the long term, Hong Kong should follow London's lead with its docklands and plan to do redevelop Kwai Chung. Land how tomorrow is fundamentally flawed. That's from uh, Anthony W. Uh, MT says housing is is not a minority problem it's a structural problem of hong kong as a society and very divisive for the society cw says excuses excuses the hong kong government has little interest in increasing the supply of housing same old three-card trick government keep land prices high for land premium developers keep flat prices high to make a nice profit and the poor suckers the hong kong people overpay for their flats why were the developers let off the hook recently when the government withdrew the flat hoarding penalty that's from uh, cw uh Dr. Lee, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Dr. Rita Lee there, Director of Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre and Associate Professor in the Department of Economics and Finance at Shuyan University. Thanks very much indeed. Some uh, emails related to uh, other discussions. Uh, Nick says, this is in relation to uh, COVID, if we've had six weeks without local cases, the longest we've ever had, why do we still have these uh, group restrictions? Um, And uh, the fan club uh, for uh, Gene Wu, uh, Will, says, Professor Wu 
should be chief executive. Just listening to someone talking sense, asking the sort of questions the government seemed to care about was lowering my blood pressure. It was so refreshing to hear her speak. I was double vaccinated with BioNTech three months ago. I'm desperate to get to Britain to see my very elderly parents. But to get back to Hong Kong, I need to launder my COVID status in a third country for at least three weeks first. Pray that country doesn't become banned too. And if it doesn't face up to three weeks further quarantine in a hotel in Hong Kong, I can't afford financially or time-wise six weeks to get back home to Hong Kong. Every time I see that government poster in MTR stations, encouraging people to get vaccinated, with which features happy people jetting off on holiday, waving, I feel like the government is trolling me. The vast majority of people jetting off to UK from Hong Kong aren't happy, and moreover, they aren't coming back. And uh, Jim H says, I'd like to express my thanks to MacChat for bringing Dr Wu on your important community forum. It's my opinion that the CHP efforts to encourage full vaccination of inbound travellers is woefully mishandled. Under existing quarantine arrangements in the SAR, there are punishment threats, possible risks to the traveller's health, and only one week incentive, which is only one week reduction in quarantine time to encourage full inoculation of uh, inbound travels. Um, Derek says, on yesterday's show, I could have sworn that Hugh said that Carrie Lamb was coming on the show on Friday. That can't possibly can't be true, can it? Uh, yes, it is true, Derek. Uh, but didn't I hear correctly? OMG, how did you guys arrange this? Well done. Uh, probably asking too much, but any chance of getting Steve Vines to come back for that uh, morning? Interesting request there, uh, uh, Derek. Um, um, they approached us. They approached us. You might have noticed Carrie Lamb is, is uh, doing all the radio stations, been doing a series of uh, interviews uh, and including us. So that should be uh, interesting. That's coming up on Friday. As I say, drop us a line. And uh, on to our final topic today, space tourism. Mr. Tang uh, says with the subject line, space tourism, a hobby for the rich. With NBA star LeBron James's newest movie, Space Jam, a new legacy hitting the theatres, viewers' imagination about space travel in the movie may now turn into reality. Now that Richard Branson has pulled off the series, seemingly impossible feat of flying into space on a jet. I very much believe that space travel would remain a luxurious hobby for an exclusive club of tycoons for quite some time. It will be decades uh, before space travel is made affordable for an average Joe like me. Meanwhile, let me sit back and rewatch 2001 A Space Odyssey and Interstellar to refresh my visual experience of space travel while eating popcorns on my sofa. Oops, perhaps some extraterrestrial existence will drink my soda while I look for my remote control. That's from Mr. Tang. Thank you very much. In, indeed for that. Uh, Jeff Bezos, as you might have read, uh, as uh, the, the latest uh, pioneer uh, astronaut, uh, along with uh, his brother. Yeah, the... I, I watched it live last night, Hugh. Uh, was it, uh, yeah, was it, how, was it on YouTube or something? Like uh, I think, live, I think was it was it? streamed live by CBS News. Okay. Yeah, so and it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was... Uh, short, it, wasn't it? It's, it's, very, it's very short. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of wind up to it. And it's, it's, you know, if you watch the old space shuttle launches, which, you know, some of us used to do it's a very different because it seems like a much smaller scale affair you know it goes up it's a much smaller rocket uh and then you know when it separates the the big one the big booster which is again much smaller than what was lifting the space shuttle into orbit it comes back down and it lands on the launch pad you know like like no big deal and the the no big deal part of it is kind of the big deal because it is reusable spacecraft and that that suggests in the future we might be able to do this in some kind of a semi-affordable way Right. Instead of blowing 20 billion dollars every time somebody goes up into, into orbit, you know, it's 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 a much, much lower price point, which suggests that maybe someday you and I could go. OK, well, let's, that's, that's the whole idea. OK, but with us once again is Professor Quentin Parker from the Department of Physics, director of the Space Search Laboratory at the University of Hong Kong, our space expert. Professor Parker, good morning to you. 
morning. And thanks for, for joining us. Were you watching Jeff Bezos? What do you make of that? <clears throat> yes, another milestone for mm -hmm. uh, um, commercial space flight. I also saw um, the Virgin Galactic uh, flight as well, and they're, of course, very different if you look at them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the previous speaker just mentioned about it taking off vertically uh, just like a normal rocket um, with a nice engine, and then... Uh, uh, the capsule uh, sort of separates at a certain altitude. You then have a couple of minutes in space and then you come back down to Earth again. Both the rocket landing vertically on its own, all completely autonomous. And then the capsule landing a bit like a, a Russian capsule coming down to Earth in Kazakhstan rather than in the ocean, which is what the Apollo did, mm. under parachutes. So that's very uh, reminiscent of those old flights. But it was a uh, whole thing lasted just over 10 minutes from beginning to end. Yeah. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, one of the things that they were talking about was that when the capsule was, was uh, coming in for its final landing, there were supposed to be booster rockets going off. I didn't see that. And Good point. Did... Yes, I was looking for those, which is why I think there was quite a thud and a lot of dust kicked up when it actually stepped down. But clearly, uh, it, nobody was injured or hurt. But uh, yeah, yeah. I was looking for those myself, and I didn't see them either. Yeah, so I was wondering if that was something that went wrong, or, okay, I thought you might... I haven't heard anything yet. I guess we just need to, to see what... It was a sex, successful trip. Everybody's back safe and sound. It was very short duration. You know, and uh, whether this is the future of space tourism or not, I don't know. But you've got to start somewhere. I mean, for me, I like the Virgin Galactic, even though it didn't go quite as high. It didn't get, get above the so-called Kármán layer at uh, 100 uh, kilometers. It only got mm -hmm. up to about 88 kilometers or so, the Virgin Galactic one. Nevertheless, people on board were still weightless. They were yeah. still weightless and they still had that experience of weightlessness. So and then they glided back to Earth like a plane, just like the space shuttle used to do. So they've got two very different systems here. One doesn't go quite as high, but one takes off on the runway. So, you know, our third runway here at Hong Kong, you know, why not? You know, in the future, this could be a space tourism hub, potentially. I know that, uh, uh, you know, the NGO like Orion Astropreneur Space Academy is really pushing space tourism as a new thing, potentially, for Hong Kong. So I think, you know, there might be some traction there in a few years. If, if Richard Branson gets interested in having a base here in Hong Kong, why not? There's a lot of wealthy people here. And as mm -hmm. you said yourself, you know, the, the launch of the, on the Bessos is about, going to be about a million dollars per flight if you want to go up for 10 minutes. It's going to cost you a million, north of a million dollars probably. A million um, US. Virgin Galactic yeah. is only 250,000. Yep. So, I mean, and of course, those are, those are, you know, crazy numbers for a 10-minute experience. But, of course, like all new things, I mean, when washing machines were first invented, they were considered an insane luxury, an extravagant luxury for the rich and, you know, got to the point where, you know, Absolutely. in the West, you everybody's gone. Uh, 2001 or the, pre no, the, the, the note from a, from a mm. listener. Yeah. And I remember that movie, one of the best movies I've ever seen, but it has a space hotel course in that yeah and uh, i think that's something well that also that companies are looking into seriously for the future you know we're talking about moon bases in a few years and things are ramping up and things are accelerating so i think you know people say decades ahead well it might be sooner than we think there are an awful lot of rich people around that can afford two hundred fifty thousand dollars a ticket and i think uh, richard branson has sold 600 tickets some of those he sold a very, very long time ago, and so this promise has been a long time coming. I, I, and there was originally it was one per country, and I know the Hong Kong person, and I believe she signed up for it. God, it must have been fifteen years ago, more. And Maybe so, she did. I don't know. no, 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 I know her. She, she, she's on the list. She was a bit of a. She was in the media and things. Perving Crawford, and she was like talked about in the media here, and some news stories written about it. But then, of course, it was so long before anything happened that it just kind of dropped off the radar. Um, it's now happened, finally. But, and uh, Jeff Bozos, too, he's been putting $1 billion into 
you know, Blue Origin for years. Mm-hmm. So it'll be some time, I think, before he can get his money back on this kind of investment. But for him, you know, he's a multi-billionaire. He can certainly afford it. Yeah. But uh, getting uh, likes of you and I up in space is going to be a dream that I think I'll never be able to uh, fulfill because the prices are still going to be extremely high for a very, very long time. Until you can bring the cost of space light down somehow through new technologies, uh, you know, reusable aspects is all well and good. They still cost a lot of money to launch each time and mm-hmm. to put the fuel in and to do all the, all the checks and balances and preparations you need with a huge team of people. It's a very expensive thing to do still. Sure. Can, but can, they, they, yeah. can they get more people on them? Do they, I mean, squeezing This, this capsule had on. six seats. Oh, yeah? yeah so three so, I mean, of them were empty. I mean, sorry, two of them were empty. There were four uh, yeah, people, it, weren't there? Yeah. It was full, and in fact, the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Wally Funk was saying, you know, she'd like to stay up there longer, but didn't have much room to go and do her, her cartwheels in weightlessness. <laughs> yeah, and she, I guess, I guess she was one of the real highlights of the story. At 82 years old, the oldest person in space, uh, and I guess part of it was that. Now, now, of course, she was a very experienced pilot, but they also had the 18-year-old. But part of the messaging was they had two days of training, which included things like how to undo your seatbelt. I mean, it wasn't exactly. Uh, was it exactly, you know, years and years of rigorous training? And I guess that was part of the messaging was that if prices come down, you can do this and you don't have to be a trained astronaut. Absolutely. I think that's a big difference. I remember those pictures of uh, astronauts going around in those big whirling devices, that huge centrifugal forces so they could survive in yeah. space and lift off, etc. But now, you know, you just go up in your normal clothes almost. And it doesn't matter. You know, you don't have spacesuits. You're not wearing these pressurized spacesuits. You're just wearing normal clothes potentially with, a, you know, it's easy. And, <laughs> and the point, point of this was to make it look easy to make yeah. it look normal and i think uh, they've succeeded to a degree so i think space tourism i mean even at the chinese university of hong kong here they are starting a space tourism initiative and uh, you know we're meeting them at cyberport uh, in fact on friday with the laboratory of space research people oasa people and them plus cyberport people and i think you know this could be a, a, a start of something here in hong kong that's what we need we need Things like this that grab people's imagination. There's been so much mood music around space travel over the last couple of months, especially with all the incredible stuff happening with the International Space Station, the Chinese Space Station, the Mars, Moon, everything. Now space tourism is all like coming together in this kind of like system, ecosystem that's yeah. going crazy. Well, I mean, yeah, and I mean, Wally, Wally Funk was 82 years old uh, on that one, Hugh. So that means in 40 years, you and I will be the same age, and maybe we could go up then, and uh, <laughs> you know, it'll be much cheaper then. Maybe Very we can't afford it. That'd be great. Is it dangerous? <clears throat> yes, any space travel is inherently dangerous. I mean, you saw the rocket lift off. I mean, some of Bezos's rockets have failed in the past. Uh, yeah, you saw it touch down without the the, the capsule, uh, that safety capsule. Um, what if those? Uh, um, Parachutes didn't deploy for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, all sorts of things can go wrong. I mean, what if there's a leak when you're in space and you lose all your atmosphere? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, these are inherently very dangerous things. But they're getting safer and safer, and the technology is advancing, and new materials and new manufacturing process and everything is making these things safer. But even, you know, with the Urgent Galactic, there's been fatalities in, 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 sure. in, in getting the program to where it is now. Uh, and there's been fatalities throughout the space program. Right. Yeah. The shuttle disasters, etc. One more, one more comment. This is from S uh, in an email. He says, "So will space travel impact a carbon footprint?" I heard Jeff Bezos's one used just hydrogen and water. What about Richard Branson's? Ah, uh, yes. Well, Richard Branson's a hybrid rocket engine, and it has uh, nitrous oxide and HT. A propellant called HTP-8, I don't know the exact formula of it, but it's, it's approximately 100 times more harmful 
and uh, on the ozone layer than uh, Jeff Bezos is. So, you know, the impact of uh, Virgin Galactic carbon footprint is much higher, you could argue, uh, in terms of the launch and flight itself than the Bezos equivalent. But, of course, the carbon footprint uh, put into a billion dollars a year building these things in the first place is enormous. Yeah, because a lot of people will say, this is the last thing we need now, is to start putting all our emphasis on jolly flights into space. We should be focusing on what's happening on our own planet. Indeed, that's the same argument that's been used for decades uh, for, to stop the moon launches and to do all these kinds of things. But as you can see, we're, we're very, very good at uh, mucking up our planets. And uh, we need a plan B, potentially, in the future for our human race. <laughs> if we actually become a true, true space-faring species, then, of course, you have to start somewhere. And this kind of thing perhaps can help and change the mindset of people to realize that, first of all, when you look down at our at our fragile planet from space it, it, you make you realize just how fragile it is and how thin the atmosphere is and you can see the fires from space now i mean siberia is ablaze america's ablaze the heat dome in canada last week uh, mm -hmm. you know was temperatures higher than doha in the middle east so it's uh, it's pretty crazy stuff that's happening right now and uh, we need to have a plan b i think okay yeah. well professor parker thanks very much indeed for joining us once again uh, quentin parker uh, from the department of physics and director of the space search laboratory at the university of hong kong andrew thank you very much indeed my pleasure the weather cloudy with showers and some squally thunderstorms the showers heavy over some areas at first temperatures up to about 28 degrees and the showers will lessen in the next couple of days with some sunny periods very hot on friday and on saturday 27 celsius now relative humidity is at 96 percent over the past two years hong kong faced severe challenges facts have proved that with the support of the central government Hong Kong can withstand any test, and the whole community fights against the epidemic together. It's time now for Hong Kong to forge ahead with renewed perseverance. The 2021 Policy Address Public Consultation. Your views are welcome. For details, please visit www.policyaddress.gov.hk. 933, the news now with Todd Harding. Southern District Councillor Paul Zimmerman has accused the Home Affairs Department of seeking to emasculate what remains of the SAR's district councils, now that more than 200 councillors have resigned. He said the department was refusing to work with the few remaining councillors. The government says from tomorrow, meetings, forums, exhibitions and a number of other events like weddings and business meetings can be held at full capacity, provided two-thirds of those attending have had their first COVID vaccine dose. And the US climate envoy John Kerry has warned the suffering caused by the coronavirus will be magnified many times over if the world fails to tackle global warming. He urged China, the world's biggest user of fossil fuels, to dramatically increase its efforts to cut its carbon emissions. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, Great interpreter of Beethoven, as well as oh shy, quiet, and retiring doggy council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Wednesday here on The Morning Brew. It is, as always.